Well, good morning. Let's all stand up together wherever you are at here in Green Bay, our other campuses. If you're joining us online, maybe you're sitting on a couch, stand up with us. Let's all say this together. This is who we are. This is what we believe here at Celebration Church. Let's all join together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good to have everyone with us today. Uh, Welcome to Celebration Church. Uh, This morning, we wanted to uh, just uh, make you aware that uh, a sweet lady passed away. She is with the Lord here this morning, Blanche Jacobson. She is uh, Pastor Arnie's mom. A lot of you know her, and Pastor Arnie is here this morning with his wife Jan and uh, Jerry and Penny. It's also great to have Chad and Brooke with us here today. Uh, 97 years old. She lived a long time. Isn't that amazing? Uh, 97. When you've lived that long, you've seen a lot of things in your life. And uh, she's very loved and the family is. And I know a lot of you were close with her and with the family. And if you'd like to join them for uh, her service, it will be in Sturgeon Bay Tuesday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. So our prayers are with that family, and we just want to pray for them right now. Let's do that. Join together. Lord, we just come before you right now. God, I thank you for your word uh, that says that we don't grieve like the rest of the world that doesn't have hope. Uh, We still grieve, but Lord, we have hope because of you. And we thank you uh, that this this wonderful lady is in your presence here this morning. I pray that you would just comfort uh, all of the family and uh, those that are close to her in this time. And uh, we thank you for her amazing life, her, her testimony of serving you all of these years, God. We thank you for that. And uh, just be with them here this morning and in the days to come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, this morning, uh, we've got a special treat, Pastor Mark. He is still kind of taking some time off as we gave him a little bit of space to just kind of step back after... Debbie passed away, and so he's, he's in, actually in Michigan here this morning. He's got an event tonight, and so we've had some great preaching. Have you guys enjoyed all the preaching we've had at Celebration Church? It's been awesome. So uh, thank you for uh, just giving Pastor Mark a little time. I know it's very meaningful to him to just kind of gather some energy around him and to take a little time off, and it's been great. We've had some phenomenal preaching this morning is going to be the same. One of our dear friends here this morning and brother of Pastor Mark, Bishop Ed Gungers here today. So let's give him a big celebration. Church, welcome here this morning. Thanks, man. I love you. Love you <laughs> Lord be with you. Thank you for that week also with you. <laughs> Say, I left that church. <laughs> Actually, that's just a historical greeting that's been for, around for a couple thousand years. Um, it's so wonderful to be with you here at Celebration. I know many of you miss uh, Pastor Mark. 
Um, I have been told if you close your eyes while I talk, um, <laughs> it will seem like he's here. So I can channel him for you. Uh, let me say uh, from the whole Gunger family, thank you for being so supportive of uh, Mark and the family as they continue to process what life looks like without this precious lady, Debbie Gunger, in it. Um, and on that note, let me, uh, let me say this. Whenever um, a loss like this occurs, everyone processes it differently. I mean, the beauty of being a public person is that you're given the privilege of influence in the lives of other people. The tragedy of being a public person is that everyone thinks they know what's best for you. And it's kind of a no-win situation. <laughs> However, Pastor Mark processes this, some will think he's moving too slow, like why is he taking this many months off? Uh, and some will think he's moving too fast. Um, please keep in mind that most of us have not walked in his shoes. Uh, he and Deb struggled with back-to-back bouts with cancer for almost 20 years with such grace. And the list, this last cancer was supposed to take her out in six months, and she endured for four years with that. And so did Mark and the family with her. Uh, we were not there for the heartache of that, um, for the work of that. And so those of you who have been or are now long-term caregivers, you, you get that this journey is not really even describable. And uh, you can learn to do it with joy, you can learn to do it with perseverance, but a life with a serious illness is not the same as a life without a serious illness. And so those of us who have not been caregivers cannot really understand what they understand. So we really have no right to a strong opinion on the matter. I love that most of you think, let Pastor Mark do what Pastor Mark has to do. Thank you for that. Um, He's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. <laughs> right? Which is why some of you love him so much. <laughs> okay, so this week uh, was the kickoff of the Lenten season, which is both horrible and wonderful. This 40-day period of reflection, of turning to God. And I hope that some of you have jumped in with us to do that this year and to sort of push your heart toward God and and move toward this uh, expectation of God's Easter. But first, before there's Easter, there's Golgotha, which is a darker place. But in this process of Lent, it's about cleaning the underbrush out and making room for God, making room for spring. It's like spring cleaning of your soul. The text I've uh, chosen to use this morning is out of Philippians 4.4. 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord Always, even during Lent, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I mean, this sounds like an odd verse to use in a message in the middle of Lent. It's certainly an awkward text when in the face of uh, tragedies like we had uh, in the mass shooting of the high school in Parkland, Florida this week, which was so devastating. But the idea of rejoicing from a biblical perspective is the idea of going back to God for the replenishment of strength. And it is totally appropriate, no matter what time of life or season that you're in or experiences that you've had. Joy, as we'll see, has little to do with surface happiness, where everything is just peachy. 
uh, or with this uh, being constantly up emotionally. It has more to do with the strength to persevere through and walk through whatever life throws at you. Rejoice so you can endure. Joy is part of the fruit of the spirit which causes flourishing in the human life. It's part of the fruit list that's in Galatians chapter five. Look at this text starting in 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the preceding verses that lead up to verses 22 and 23, Paul is making the case for the way we all struggle in life, that there's a kind of war inside every one of us as believers, that as we sort of wrestle between the impulse of our selfish nature over against the selfless impulse of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And there's this kind of tension between those two realities. This is the plight of the believer, right? What is striking is that this list, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, etc. these are not being presented to us as a list of to-dos or goals to attain. This is simply a list of fruit We know that fruit-bearing trees don't have to focus in order to produce fruit. I mean, if the tree's in the right environment, and if the weather is good, and the tree is healthy uh, and growing, fruit-bearing trees bear fruit. It's just what they do. According to Paul, spiritual fruit is not the result of focusing on a particular fruit or trying to make it happen in some way like joy, peace. We don't have to try to make it happen. It's the result, these fruit are the result of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. It's the result of a participation with the Spirit and in the Spirit. Peter says something close to this in 2 Peter chapter one. Listen to it. He said, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for living godly, for being godlike, more, you know, not living in sinfulness. We can, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory. I love that he's called us. He's called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and his goodness. He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, through those promises, watch, you may participate in the divine nature. Think of that. You and I can actually participate in God's very nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This participation is what I think we should be after. It's not of us or the result of some kind of meritocracy where we merit stuff with God or personal performance, or earning some kind of a spiritual eagle scout badge with God. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about being godly. We're talking about this idea that participating in something that's his as we connect with him and it passes to us. It's not about us psyching ourselves up to be more joyful, or to be more peaceful, or to be more patient, or to be more godly. You know, like when I was a kid, I used to watch those 
WWF you know, wrestling things. And the guys before said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. You know? And I used to kind of see myself at the altars when I was a teenager. I'm going to live in joy. I'm going to serve Jesus. It was like, I just worked up a sweat. But nothing changed. Right? See, this is such good news that you don't have to make yourself holy. You don't have to make yourself godly. You just have to find the spout where that comes out. There's a beautiful text in Romans 11 that says this, uh, in, starting in verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? See, we don't, this isn't a tit for tat. This isn't quid pro quo. This isn't you do good things for God and then God blesses you. Listen, you don't, you don't want what you've earned. This isn't God owing you stuff, right? Who has given to God that God should repay him? But watch what it says. For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him, through him, to him. It's like a divine cycle. Say it with me. From him. That's weak. From him. Through him. To him. Are what? All things. To him be the glory. So I, I can't tell you, you know, how when I was younger as a Christian, I, I would hear all the things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to read our Bibles. We're supposed to walk in, you know, kindness and forgive people. We're supposed to uh, be a witness for the Christ. And I would get up sort of already under the shoulds uh, of my life. And I would think, okay, what's, I got to bring this from me, through me, for God, from me, through me, for God. And if I messed up, I'd always feel condemned. And if I ever got anything right, I'd get the big head. You know, to me be the glory, right? But, but when I began to discover this, this, Christianity isn't about from me, through me, for God. It's, I need to wake up saying, what's coming from him? Because if I can pick up on what's coming from him today, I can do all things through him, back to him, and at the end of the day, to God be the glory. See, what this is saying is that, is, and then he goes on to the next, very ne- next verse, he says, therefore, because things are coming from him, back through him, up to him, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to simply offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, what God is looking for is not your performance, but you're presenting yourself to a God who performs in you. This means that faith is less about us than it is about him. We're too weak in our moral nature to pull faith off. So if you suck at faith, you are normal. (laughs) Because all of us need grace. Everybody say grace. That being said, we still have to present ourselves. We still have that responsibility to present ourselves to God so that we can participate in that grace. This is really the why of prayer. It's not to get a brownie point. We pray so that we can encounter grace. We come to church to encounter grace. We listen to God's word to encounter grace. We, we sing with your heart to God to encounter grace. The fasting season one is to encounter grace. These are not works that we're trying to do to earn anything. And it's what we're after is that engagement with the Holy Spirit. Because an engagement with the Holy Spirit, it's different than an engagement with principles or truths. I mean, of course, there are principles and truths surrounding uh, encounters with the Holy because the primary revelation of the Spirit is revealed in Scripture, to be sure. But the encounter itself is not necessarily governed by reason 
or clear cognitive thought. I mean, an interaction with the spirit or the fruit of such a thing, such a moment, it impacts much more than our minds. We are, as James K.A. Smith is so fond of saying, more than brains on a stick. We're not just brains on a stick. We are emotive beings, physical beings, and we carry knowings of different kinds. We're not just rationalistic uh, as, and that's the kind of, of knowing that dominates Western thought. We're not just that. We all have knowings that are deeper and more nuanced than straight up truth and principle. I mean, just think about the times you walked into a room and something just felt off and you inquire a little bit and you realize there was this huge argument that just happened. Well, you weren't there, but somehow you felt it hanging in the air. How did you know that? See, there's some kind of knowings that we have that are intuitive. They're more than reasonable or rational. Or maybe you stepped into a place that seemed to be jammed with peace and serenity. And, and, and uh, the, something felt on. The vibe was good. How did you, how did you know that? Because there's, there's something in you that picks up that's non-rational. It's not irrational, but it's non-rational. Or maybe pre-rational. Or think of the times you found yourself in a place that felt unsafe and you don't know why you felt that but all your spidey senses go off, right? See, we have knowings that are not just cognitive reflections uh, because we're more than brains on a stick. We, we, are, uh, we experience an affective kind of form of intuitive and emotional knowing to be affected is to be influenced or determined by something or someone else on a number of levels, not just in our minds. This is especially true when we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> in that moment, there's an evoking and an awakening to things that are uniquely come from the Spirit. <laughs> and it carries its own epistemic category, its own way of knowing. Here, the Spirit engages with our full humanity, not just our minds. And he infuses us with divine life. And we participate in the divine nature. Here's a sample of this kind of experience. This is out of Rudolf Otto's book, The Idea of the Holy. Listen to it. Quote, this is a guy describing this moment of the holy. I remember the night and almost the very spot on the hilltop where my soul opened out, as it were, into the infinite. And there was a rushing together of the two worlds, the inner and the outer. It was deep calling unto deep, the deep that my own struggle had opened up within, being answered by the unfathomable deep without reaching beyond the stars. I stood alone with him who had made me and all the beauty of the world. The perfect stillness of the night was thrilled by a more solemn silence. The darkness held a presence that was all the more felt because it was not seen. I could not any more have doubted that he was there than that I was. Indeed, I felt myself to be, if possible, the less real of the two, end quote. See, times like this for the converted become a kind of lived certainty 
I mean, these are, these are the places where we get affected by the Holy Spirit. And those who step into a moment like this, you know, we're not against explanations. We're not against rational conceptions. It's just we don't need them. <laughs> I mean, someone who carries a lived certainty from a divine encounter, we don't need to eliminate contradictions. We don't need to eliminate ambiguities. It's okay for us to be ambiguous about it and go, I don't know what happened, but man, I am cool because God showed up, right? All is well with my soul. <laughs> the revivalist Jonathan Edwards from the 18th century speaks of this. He says, quote, the conceptions which the saints have of the loveliness of God and that kind of delight which they experience in it are quite peculiar and entirely different from anything which a natural man can possess or of which he can form any proper notion, end quote. <laughs> this is what I love about being a renewalist. A renewalist is a person who loves encountering the divine. <laughs> we don't need proper notions. We just need more ghost stories. <laughs> Holy ghost stories. Saying there is such a thing as the fruit of the Spirit is to assert that above and beyond our rational nature is something larger, something higher, something ultimate, which cannot be found in mere intellectual impulses and pursuits. And when we use phrases like seek God, or when we ask God, pour out your spirit upon us. We're not talking about a moment that's primarily rational. We're talking about a moment where we can't quite describe it, but it shapes us and it transforms us. And this is where we run smack into the text Paul iterates in Galatians 5 when he describes what being shaped and transformed looks like. It looks like we exhibit more love. It looks like joy erupts out of us. It looks like peace wins the day in us, that patience rules us instead of anger, that we become disposed to showing kindness, that our motives turn good, that we're faithful, which means we're a people who are in, we are in no matter how unreasonable it seems, that we're committed to things and to others. We're like these holy fools who won't quit. We enter situations with gentleness and though it doesn't emerge from within our own effort, we begin to naturally exert more self-control. We have had an encounter with God. That was a great place to just, you know. <laughs> Man, I know it's Sunday morning early, but praise the Lord. See, this fruitless again, it's not a list of goals. It's not a list of to-dos for the believer. It's, it's Paul saying, if you've had an encounter with the Spirit, this kind of stuff will appear. It's really a symptoms list. If any of you have gone this, if you've had the flu this season, God bless you. You, what, you know symptoms. I mean, they tell you, you can have fatigue, fever, congestion, stuff, runny nose, that kind of stuff. Well, if you've had an encounter with the Holy, here are your symptoms. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. If this stuff isn't happening in you, you're not a bad person. Well, actually, you are a bad person. But all of us are bad people. 
But, but, but it, it's just that you haven't been chumming enough with God. I remember when I was a kid, just a little kid, my mom used to have these ladies come over. And then back in the 60s, people wore way too much perfume. And some of those ladies would hug you, and, and I'm telling you, I'd walk away, and two hours later, I'm still smelling those women on me because they'd hug all over me and their perfume got on me. See, somehow we have to understand, if you can get close enough to God and you let him hug you, you're gonna carry his perfume. If you're not carrying it, God's not mad at you. You don't have it. (laughs) Brother Lawrence, who is this really cool monk, I used to get the book. He didn't write it, but it was written about him in the 16th century. It's called the Pre- Practicing the Presence of God. And he, was a, he worked in the kitchen, but it's just a great story, a little short book. Um, but, but they asked him when they were interviewing him, saying, you know, Brother Lawrence, what do you do when you fail God in sin? And he said, well, I tell God this is the best I can do. And it will only get worse if he doesn't help me. Dude, don't you love that? Think about that. Instead of living in condemnation and guilt, saying to God after you do something, when you act stupid, which stupid is what we do. And you say to God, God, here I am. This is what I do. This is par. And it's only gonna get worse. Help. Oh, that's the greatest prayer. Help. Let me say one more thing about fruit of the spirit in general, and then I want to just tap and end with joy. Notice that in the list, Galatians 5.22 starts with love. There's a number of Bible exegetes that say, these are guys, that, gals that study the scripture in the original language and all that. They say that love in this list is actually the, the fruit of the whole deal, and that the rest of these are simply iterations of love. So love is the fruit, and that joy is an iteration of love, peace is an iteration of love, etc. Uh, the reason they do that earlier in, in, the, in the chapter of chapter five, verse six, it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then in verse 13, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in the single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if this list really is what emerges from love, then, then that suggests that this stuff isn't just for you and me. Because love is relational. It's what happens between one and another, right? So these are not just for our self-aggrandizement or for our personal happiness. And if you think about it, I mean, if the primary fruit of God is love, then when we have encounters with the holy, the impulse will be to move towards people with joy and towards people with peace and with patience. We should move towards people who are in pain or in heartache with all of this stuff that love brings with it. And, and, and actually, the fruit of a fruit tree isn't really for the tree, right? I mean, it's true that the, that the fruit carries seed, which is the future trees. So there's a degree of, of, of moving into the future that the, tr- the tree has the fruit, but the fruit, doesn't, the fruit tree doesn't eat it. It's for people who eat fruit, right? <laughs> so what if joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control aren't for you alone? What if they're for the world? What if we're to encounter the Spirit and then bring God into our homes and God into our friendships and God into the marketplace and God into the world through these where we just carry the perfume? All right, so let me shift now and I'll shut up this, and talk about joy. When, when we moderns think of joy, we think of it as a state of mind, 
uh, or feeling that's primarily attached to external circumstances, right? Or goods, you know, things like money and power and success, that kind of thing. So, so we can only have joy if we have more money. <laughs> we can only have joy if we have more likes on our social media. We can only have joy if we're a few pounds thinner. Well, actually, that's probably true. <laughs> no, anyway, no. <laughs> we can only have joy if we have more stuff than we currently have. We can only have joy if we garner more influence of success than we currently have, or we have more control over our events of our lives. That's where joy comes from. Because we think this way as a kind of default, we're pretty painfully aware of what we don't have. And when you, what you don't have is in your mind a lot, you have more ache and dread than you do joy. Listen to what joy is about. This is from Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, this day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. It doesn't matter what's happened. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What is strength? It's ability. It's energy. It's the I can do this juice. It gives the kind of energy that helps us engage in virtuous acts. This is what joy does. It's what it gives us. The joy described in sacred text certainly can have happiness and celebration and all of that, but it goes deeper and it can be present even in the midst of heartache and tragedy. Listen to these joy-filled words from a letter found by archaeologists from a first century martyr who's about to be killed. Listen to it, quote, in a dark hole, I have found cheerfulness. In a place of bitterness and death, I have found rest. While others weep, I have found laughter. Where others fear, I have found strength. Who would believe that in a state of misery, I have had great pleasure, that in a lonely corner, I have had glorious company, and in the hardest of bonds, perfect repose. All these things Jesus has granted me. He is with me, comforts me, and fills me with joy. He drives bitterness from me and fills me with strength and consolation, end quote. See, joy makes us endure. Joy endures boredom, tragedy, disappointment. It helps us endure offense, illness, heartbrokenness, loss, death. It strengthens us to endure the worst that can come. I'm very aware, as I say this, that some of you are here in the midst of some great hardship and great heartache. Some of you live in emotional spaces that feel like jail cells with harsh, brutal guards, and you feel battered by storms of disappointment and overcome by unmet need. But I am daring to suggest to you that irrespective of that, joy will have its day in you if you will dare to move towards encounters with the holy. If you will determine to continue in the work of faith, your suffering that seems so overwhelming at this moment will be touched by redemption. I'm old <laughs> enough <laughs> to have seen lots of human stories unfold People who in faith push past where they're stuck and buttoned down in doubt, they've gotten unstuck and unbuttoned. I can affirm what Psalm 30 affirms. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. 
So let me sneak in a couple of thoughts, secrets about how to let the joy be expressed. I've already said one, pursue ghost stories. What works for you? My wife loves to listen to worship music all the time. I could not listen, well, I'm okay with it. I love studying and preaching. Some of you love to walk out in creation. Some of you love silence. Whatever your deal is, find the spout where the glory comes out for you and pursue the holy. Number two, I got three of them. Number two, secret, is joy is connected to how you look at time. When you think about your life, when you think about the past, you should be joyful over the past by thanking God that it's a gift, that life is a gift, that your life is not an accident, that the human experience is a gift and that it is good, even if it's got some bad and ugly in it. Refuse shame, refuse regret, give thanks, joy will emerge. Then when it comes to the present, rejoice in the present by savoring the now. I went, you know, we don't have Perkins in New York City and I grew up on Perkins and I went yesterday to get a Perkins sandwich and I just, I just chewed it so slowly. And I'm just going, it's so good. See, slow it down. Taste your life. Thank God. Even if you have a toddler who's making you crazy, thank God that they're a toddler that will grow out of being toddlerish. Joy will emerge. Or when you think about the future, have joy of the future. What is the joy of the future? The expectation of good. Why can you expect good? Because God is in your life. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good to those who love him. Old Roberts used to say, something good is going to happen to you. I mean, what if that's true? What if that, just, just don't look at them, but sort of poke your nerves and something good's gonna happen to you. Something good, something, something good. Go ahead. Some, do it. Something good's going to happen to you. Go ahead. Something good's going to happen to you. How many of you will not do anything I ask you to do? Yes, God bless you. <laughs> and then the last one. Shout! <laughs> Believe it or not. This is Psalm 91, 95. One. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us shout for joy. Let us shout for joy. <laughs> you want joy? Shout. See? The text goes on to say that we shout because the Lord is a great God. We shout because his hands form the universe. We shout because he is our God who sees and knows us. And so we shout for joy. Shouting for joy is like singing on steroids. There's a practice in psychotherapy called primal therapy. And literally, people get together and they just yell together. They yell, ah! They yell. Because it releases pent up junk. Like, you know, the frustration in a kid when they just yell. You know, sometimes kids will just yell because they're so frustrated. When we shout for joy, the source of our shout is a little different than frustration. It's more of a yell like we do for our favorite team in the stadium. Some of you are great shouters, you just have never done it for God. Right, you've got a Packer game, or you're you're at your kids, you know, football or, or or hockey or soccer or whatever, and you're just ah ah. You're just, I mean, you are a fan on steroids, but you've never lifted your voice for God. You've never shouted unto the Lord. So, see, well, what are you talking about? See, a prayer shout is a shout of joy. It's a shout. In hope, it's a shout of faith. It's a shout of triumph. You say, well, "What does it sound like?" Ah! <laughs> so it sounds like, "Or oh, thank you, yay, 
Stuff like that. <laughs> it's not a thing you do in the early morning. I mean, actually, when I read texts on the Psalms that say shout, I actually literally do this. Because my wife would kill me if I was, right? So you can shout quietly. So let's do this. We're going to end. Stand up with me, and we're going to just shout for just a second. Stand up with me. Now, you say, well, this is, oh, I don't want to do this. This is silly. I get that. Some of you have never done it. You're going to do it today. Or you'll walk out of here in shame. So you get what I'm talking about, right? So you just, you know, we can just do just a straight up shout. Ah! You're right, ready? I'll do it on count of three, ready? And then I'll stop you. So we have a little law, law. I mean, not law, order. That's what I mean, a little order, okay? So ready? One, two, three. Ah! Let's try one more time. One, two, three. Ah! Can I just listen in your heart? This time we go, yay, God. Ready? One, two, three. Yay, God! And then one more time, we're going to do thank you, Lord. Ready? Thank you, Lord. Ready? Oh, just, let, just feel that in your heart. Just like squeeze like a sponge. And see what soaks out. Ready? Here we go. Ready? What are we doing? Thank you, God. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Thank you, God! And you thought we weren't a Pentecostal church. (laughs) Doing stuff like this is receiving the kingdom like a little child. And when you do it, this is what happens. This is the last text, Isaiah 55. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap there.